0: Hello and welcome to St. Paul's United Methodist Church's Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Mike Agnew and it's great to have you listening. We have uh, Sunday school at 9 o'clock and worship at 1010 on Sunday mornings. You can also go to our website at CherokeeMethodist.com where you can find newsletters, the most recent bulletin, learn about events that are happening in the life of the church, and you can link to our YouTube channel where you can watch live or recorded services. Now, today, we are continuing on with our series of sermons. In fact, we are finishing our series of sermons looking at the basics of the faith in the United Methodist Church. And as we've seen, we've seen that many of these are things that we hold in common, even if some of us are not United Methodist. These come from the articles of religion included in our Book of Discipline. The Book of Discipline is a book that basically tells us how we run things as a church, so, today's topic is sanctification. And I'm going to start by reading the article of, of faith called Sanctification. Sanctification is that renewal of our fallen nature by the Holy Ghost, received through faith in Jesus Christ, whose blood of atonement cleanseth from all sin, whereby we are not only delivered from the guilt of sin, but are washed from its pollution saved from its power, and are enabled through grace to love God with all our hearts and to walk in his holy commandments, blameless. Wow, that's a high order. But basically, I think of sanctification as being like spiritual growth or discipleship. It's becoming more and more like Christ as we seek to follow Jesus in our lives. A few weeks ago, in my sermon called The Way of Salvation, I said that sanctification comes after we're saved, after we're forgiven. And it's a partnership with God and us and our own strivings. We partner with God's sanctifying grace. You see, if we give our lives to Christ and we really commit our lives to Christ, the idea of sanctification is that that commitment should have follow-through if there's a lack of your of change in your life if if following christ doesn't impact what you do or don't do then in what way are you actually following christ saying yes to christ necessarily implies saying no to something else if anything it means saying no to ourselves john wesley the founder of methodism was quite aware of this That's why when he led people to Christ, he didn't just leave them to find their own church and go to the next community. He organized them into communities and small groups for accountability and continued growth. And it was effective. You see, when we commit our lives to Christ, we are, in a way, like newborn babies. We know little, but we have a lot of enthusiasm. We're cute, but we're expected to grow, right? There are all kinds of parenting books with assessments about what all uh, parents' babies should be doing at different months and years of their life. Uh, We use these as benchmarks along the way to help us to see how our children are doing. And in a way, the Christ-like life is the same way. We're not only expected to grow, but there is a goal we are working for, and there are benchmarks along the way. And the good news is, as I said, we're not alone in our efforts to follow through with our commitment. The Holy Spirit works with us as well. But growing up in the Christian faith is a gradual process that we call sanctification. But remember, it's gradual. It doesn't happen right away. (laughs) Usually it takes a lifetime. Uh, Through the work of the Spirit, though, sanctification is the Gradual transformation of our moral disposition so that we love good and resist evil. And the ultimate goal of sanctification? The removal of willful sin from our lives. The goal of sanctification, excuse me, the goal of sanctification is what John Wesley called perfection, defined as loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, wherein all our thoughts, words, and actions are governed by pure love. Wow. <laughs> that's a, As I said, that's a tall order. The doctrine of perfection is not usually talked about today because it causes confusion, for one thing. Because we think of perfection as meaning uh, we never make mistakes, we never make errors. But that's not what John Wesley was talking about here. For him, perfection was a state of being in which you were continually yielding to the Holy Spirit's influence in your life. And if you're doing this, the consequence is that you will now sin, at least not willfully. Now, for many of us, the idea that we could not willfully sin is a new one. Many have been taught that we can't stop sinning, so sin will just always be a part of our lives. But this is false for two reasons. First, if we're going to believe that we are really always going to struggle with sin, then what's the point of sanctification? Why even try if there's always going to be sin in our lives? And secondly, what does it mean to say that Christ has saved us from the power of sin if we're still hopelessly destined to live in sin until we die? In what way has he saved us from sin then? I have trouble believing that all Jesus cared about is saving us from the punishment of sin rather than from the power of sin in our lives. So the, pa- the idea of people not sinning is not only supported by Wesley, but also the scriptures. In Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. You see, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. We are the temple of God. Galatians 5.24 says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This means we are dead to sin. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. And folks, if the old is truly gone, then it shouldn't be ruling us. And so often in Christian circles, all we do is focus on sin, 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 sin. I'm just such a sinful person all the time, you know, and the problem is we focus so much on sin. We're not focusing on the goal. We're not focusing on sanctification. I agree with John Wesley that the removal of willful sin from our lives is possible, but it takes time. Christ set us free from the power of sin, but it does take time to remove all sin from your life this involves daily self-denial and surrender of your will to Christ. Jesus said whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. And if that isn't your cup of tea, you may not want to be a Christian. It might not be for you. That may be a strange thing to hear, you know. Many pastors will preach that God has a wonderful plan for your life and that life will be great if you follow Christ. And they're right but they're being deceptive if all they do is talk about the positives instead of being honest about the commitment and hard work. Have you ever had anyone try to sell you something by telling you all the good things about it, and then you bought it and realized it had a lot of defects or required more setup and maintenance than you bargained for? That's what we do whenever we try to dumb down our faith and make it sound so simple and easy that anybody would want to join. That was not Jesus' tactic. It seems that whenever Jesus had a large crowd of people following or listening to him, he'd mess it up somehow and cause many people to leave by uh, telling them to count the cost and telling them of the commitment that they are going to. I'm sure when he said that those who wanted to follow him needed to come and die, that didn't sit too well with people. But Jesus never manipulated people into joining. He never made it sound easy. And so I'm going to say something so unlike what many pastors will say that it may surprise you. Don't commit your life to Christ unless you are at least sort of aware of the commitment Christ is calling you for. Students, don't confirm your faith in your church on Confirmation Sunday unless you understand this and are ready to count the cost. Count the cost because Jesus simply isn't interested in filling the heavenly pews his desire is to mold us into his image so we can live Christ-like lives, not only today, but in the new heavens and earth that we will inhabit in the new age. You might say, well, Mike, my goodness, you're focusing so much on counting the cost. I thought we were saved by grace, not works. That's true, but I'm not talking about being saved. I'm talking about what we are saved from. I'm talking about what we are committing ourselves to. And if Christ saves us from sin, then his obvious desire is that we yield to the Spirit's work in our life to remove that sin. But as I mentioned, this is a gradual process. Most of us who've been forgiven by God realize that the roots of sin are not yet fully destroyed. We're still going to struggle with sin, we will fail. We will take two steps forward and three steps back sometimes. Our old self is under the influence of the Spirit, but it's not eliminated. That's why in Romans 7, 21 through 23, Paul says, I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. So what he's saying is, we are constantly fighting with ourselves. The sinful nature in us wants to do what is wrong, but there's also the new self that desires holiness. And though the old self isn't completely annihilated, the new self is being called to live as if the old self was in fact dead. In Romans 6, 11 through 13, Paul says, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. So Paul must think it's possible, otherwise why teach it? Sanctification is a gradual process. True, there are stories of people who were miraculously cured of their addictions or their desire for sin, but that's the exception, not the norm. Usually the Spirit works gradually in our lives to reveal our sin to us so that we may gradually overcome them. And this is a reminder that every journey, no matter how long, begins with a step. God doesn't expect us to always succeed, and certainly not right away, any more than we should expect that of our children. We don't expect our children to succeed at everything right away the first time. But we do expect and hope that our children will gradually learn how to live life successfully and how to do the right thing so that eventually they don't have to make many mistakes. And that's what God wants for us as well. So the question I have for you is, are you striving for perfection? Again, I'm not talking about what we normally think of as perfection. But one with a perfective faith, you know, as I said, even after you reach the stage of perfection, you can still make errors, you can still fall into sin, you can fall out of perfection. But, you know, perfection is when more often than not you have conquered willful sin because you are denying yourself and yielding to the Spirit at all times. You're focused on loving God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your thoughts, actions, and motives are directed by a godly love. Are you perfect in the way we think of perfection today? No but you can work towards perfection as John Wesley defined it, living a Christ-like life. This is what it means to grow up in our faith. Many of us will never reach perfection in our lifetime. In fact, if somebody says they've reached it, they probably haven't. But I don't think it matters so much whether we make it or not as much as are we striving for it. When I was ordained in the United Methodist Church, One of the questions the bishop asked us was, are you going on to perfection? And do you expect to be made perfect in this lifetime? What a question. That's one of the questions John Wesley would ask those he ordained. But how do you answer that? I mean, do I really think I'm going to reach perfection in this lifetime? How do you even answer that in the affirmative without sounding really boastful? How do I know that I will reach perfection in my lifetime? I don't know. But when I discussed this question with the Board of Ordained Ministry and others, the answer that I got was that if I'm not striving for perfection, what exactly am I striving for? Indeed, what are we striving for? Are we striving for a goal that's maybe slightly above what we can reach? Are we striving to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength? Are we striving to deny ourselves and to yield always to the Spirit? And if the answer is no... What is it that we're striving for? Amen. God bless and have a great week.